Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast about sex and sexuality. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week we're going to do a Q&A. I have collected a lot of questions from you guys, and while I've been using those to inform the podcast so far, some of the questions are very specific and don't necessarily play into an episode all by themselves or something that I think I can answer in an episode by themselves. So I'm going to read out a couple of these questions and answer them, and I think that that will be a good thing moving forward. As I progress with this series, I will stop occasionally and use that time to answer questions directly that you've sent in. I really appreciate all that you've sent in. I asked for questions to be submitted, and you guys have not disappointed. A quick plug for our website, www.wickedfellow.com. You can find all the podcasts there, as well as studio links, and a link to our Patreon. And speaking of our Patreon, a very special thank you to our founding Patreon supporters, Kristen, Carol, Deborah, Quoon, and Karine. Your support helped me build our website, and I cannot thank you enough for helping me keep this podcast coming out each week. If you would like to join our small but dedicated Patreon family, check out the link on our website or conveniently placed at the bottom of this podcast notes. I really do appreciate it. The support that we get on Patreon is paying for the website, it's paying for web hosting, it's paying for the costs associated with putting the podcast out. It would be nice in time if this could be a revenue-generating endeavor, but I'm more interested in putting out a high-quality podcast, upgrading our equipment. Uh, You'll notice again, I've changed the camera up again. This setup will work really well for me as I can sync directly with the audio into my computer, but the video quality is not as good. So in time, I'd like to upgrade the camera. Obviously, I've always concentrated on the sound first, as I consider this a podcast that has a video attached to it. And I've been working on upgrading the sound and making sure that the mic placement works well. And I've done a lot of experiments on that. Again, if you can give me some feedback on how it sounds on your end, I always appreciate that. Some notes from last week. Uh, Some of the feedback I received, I could tell that I didn't do a very good job explaining that the categories of submissive I've been describing are not exclusive, or even that you have to fit into one of these categories in order to play in the BDSM scene. These categories are just archetypes. Just as you could say, I'm an outdoors person. That is an aspect of your personality. But are you into kayaking or skiing or parasailing? Or do you do minimalist camping for a week in the Australian outback? Or do you just like taking hikes in your local park? All of this falls under outdoors type. So you can be kinky or you can be into BDSM. You don't necessarily have to be a brat or a rope bunny or a bedroom submissive. Some people will very clearly fall into one of those categories. You know, their experience in the scene is very individualistic and they like to do a certain thing. But I also know people that have been in the scene for years and they wouldn't describe themselves as anything other than a scenester or a kinkster or a sub or a dom. And they don't need to fit into a category. They don't feel like they fit into a category. So when I'm describing these categories, again, I'm just talking about general types of people. You can be a mixture of all of these things or none of them. And you don't have to choose a role before you join the scene you kind of follow your instinct on that. The kink and BDSM scene should be an open and welcoming place for peoples of all level of experience. Don't be afraid to start exploring and allowing your feelings and interests to guide you. 
you know, as you show up to kink events and as you start getting into this lifestyle, you'll be exposed to things that may interest you. And you may see somebody doing a scene and think, oh, that looks really fun. I'm excited by that and I want to try it. Another scene may turn you completely off. You don't want to do that kind of play. And that's fine. It's very individualistic to you. So I'm going to continue describing different types of submission and different types of dominance and different types of play. But don't feel like if none of the things that I explained to you seem to fit you, or if you fit into a lot of these categories, you're a rope bunny and a brat and you like to do rigging and you're into electro stem, that's all fine. You can be all of those things. So I want this to be informative and helpful for people. I don't want this to come off as some sort of prerequisite guide to getting to the scene. The only thing you need is an open mind, a willingness to be cool to other people, and a little bit of adventurousness. That's all you need to be in the scene. So the first question this week, what are the protocols that are most likely to be used in a club or a dungeon? I know each will have some differences, but in general, what are the rules of behavior? This is a great question. You know, how do you behave the first time you show up at a kink event? Whether that's a munch or you're going to a kink night at a bar or you're going to a dedicated kink BDSM play space like a dungeon, you know, how do you act? What do you wear? How do you walk in the door for the first time? Well, since this is the internet age, you should start by looking at the website or the event post on social media if that's available. It may have a short guide about appropriate attire and what is and is not allowed at that function. Frequently, a local bar or club will host a BDSM night, and they may have very strict guidelines on the type of clothing you can wear and what behaviors are allowed in their establishment. You know, sometimes it has to do with liquor licenses. They can't have any kind of nudity. Otherwise, they don't have a license to be a strip club, for example. Other times, it's I've been to some at, at local bars that are pretty wild and have some pretty extreme things happening. And there'll be kind of a closed venue for that night. You'll have to, kind of special permissions to get in or an invite to get in. It will vary night to night, club to club, scene to scene. So you should always try and find out ahead of time, if you can, what kind of things will be allowed, what will be going on, what kind of attire is appropriate. And sometimes on the website, they'll be very clear. They'll say, you know, you cannot have exposed breasts or you can, but you have to have pasties. They'll be very clear about that. If they're not clear about that, my recommendation is to start a bit conservative because you can always take clothes off, right? But it would be a shame to go to an event and get turned away because you didn't have enough clothing on to get into the event. You know, that's the attire part. If you have no kink clothing, if you have no BDSM gear or no way of showing that kinky side based on your clothing, wear black. Black is kind of the uniform standard of a BDSM event, and you'll see a lot of people wearing black. You'll see people wearing all colors. You'll see a lot of white as well and red and any color of the spectrum. But if BDSM had a color, it's black, followed by red and then maybe white. If you're attending a munch or a slosh, you should dress pretty moderately, you know, just in your street clothes. Some people like to incorporate elements of their BDSM lifestyle in their streetwear. You know, they may wear a collar or they may have a chain. Katja, for example, has an ankle chain that she wears 24-7. That's a symbol of our relationship in bondage. But most people wouldn't notice it. If they did notice it, they'd think she has rather heavy tastes in jewelry, and that's about it. 
So that's something between her and I. It's not necessarily something that I have placed on her to be assigned to the outside world. Some people do. Sometimes collared subs, a sub that has received an individual collar, are required to wear their collar. That's going to be something between the dom and the sub. A dom is not going to make their sub wear something like that if it would, say, prevent them from going to work at a school, for example. So yeah, you can show up at a munch wearing slightly edgy clothing, but you don't want to be the only person in a full latex bodysuit at Denny's at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. That may be very exciting to you, and I'm sure that some of the people listening to this just got a little chill thinking about that. But also consider the feelings of the people you're going there to meet. You know, do they want to be sitting next to someone wearing a full latex bondage suit in Denny's? Save that stuff for actual kink events where it's perfectly acceptable to wear, you know, fetish wear and latex and leather and very revealing clothing, for example. In a kink party or a kink event at a club, that's going to be fine. Especially, you know, outfits that cover everything, you know, that's not nudity. It's usually not going to be a problem. So you'll see people wearing full gear and face masks and very obviously bondage-inspired clothing and kink-inspired clothing. In that setting, it's perfectly acceptable, and you're not going to embarrass anybody or yourself. At a munch, which is just a social gathering, you know, you should blend in with the crowd. How do you behave? For the most part, you should behave in a respectful way, just as you would at any social gathering. As weird and kinky as our scene is, you know, social norms still apply. Don't touch anybody that you're not invited to, right? This is a kinky thing, and sure, people are into a lot of things you wouldn't do normally, but everything is based on consent. You know, don't go to a kink event and feel like, oh, you know, there are no rules here. I can do whatever I want, and if I want to touch that person, I can. No, you cannot. Just as you would not touch somebody in a normal social situation, you would not walk up and touch somebody at a kink situation. Don't be aggressive or assume that because you're at a kink event, you can be more lewd with people than you would normally be, especially people that you don't have an established relationship with. You know, this is another mistake that I see people make. They're like, oh, we're at a kink event. I can walk up and immediately start talking about sex with this total stranger. No, you can't. You know, they may be open to that. After you've exchanged some normal pleasantries, perhaps the conversation will go in that direction. But again, with strangers, with people you don't know, with people you're just meeting, you need to behave in a socially responsible manner. You know, feel the room out, see what's going on. These are social events and social norms still apply. Doms especially need to be mindful of their manners. Don't assume that every submissive you meet is your own personal property because they are not. Or that you have authority over a complete stranger because you do not. If you're a dominant person, that will speak for itself. Submissive personalities can spot a dominant personality a mile away, and usually vice versa. If you feel like you have to show how dominant you are, I've got really bad news for you. Understand that many doms and subs have very strict rules on social situations and encounters. You should not approach or talk to a collared sub unless you are specifically invited to. So how do you know who's a collared sub? Sometimes you cannot, so, you know, tread lightly anytime you're just walking up to a stranger to address them and talk to them, just like you would in a regular bar situation. But often a collared sub or a very close controlled collared sub will be right next to their dom and they will have a collar on 
and it'll be very clear by their demeanor and their body language that they are there to be an accessory, right? They are there to be shown off as a prized item. This is a particular type of play, and that's fine. You know, again, this is something that's working between two people, but that means that you should respect that and you don't just walk up to them and start talking to them. Very much like you wouldn't go into a bar and see a couple together and go start hitting on one of the people in that couple. Like, that's bad taste. But this is taken to a whole nother level where that sub may have very strict rules saying that they are absolutely not allowed to talk to strangers or make eye contact with them or in any way acknowledge them. So, you know, you barging in and flirting with that person is making their life more difficult and will probably put you on the very bad side of their dom. A lot of common sense still needs to apply. You know, one of the reasons that I... I can't say that I'm completely antisocial when it comes to BDSM things. I do enjoy kink events, and I've been to some that were an amazing amount of fun. But in general, I tend to play alone. I tend to play with my subs, and I don't do a lot of public kink events, especially with mixed company, and I don't know who's going to be there. And the reason I don't is that it's the internet age, and anybody can show up to these things. And there's this bad habit of people discovering the scene and identifying themselves as a dominant and feeling like they can just go to a kink event and the whole world is their buffet and they can just walk up and be lewd and inappropriate with people that they do not have a relationship with or assume authority over subs and more than once at kink events like this I've had to, you know, step between one of my subs and one of these, you know, ignorant doms and be like, hey, you need to back off. This person has not given you permission to talk to them, let alone try to command them. And that's not a situation I want to be in. That's not the kind of night I want to have. I expect people to be respectful and civilized and follow basic social norms. And sometimes people get the wrong idea about what a BDSM event is. And they figure it's this crazy, you know, Roman Bacchanalia where anything goes and there are no rules. And that's just not how it is. So I'm not warning you away from them. I'm giving you some advice on, you know, people may act badly, but people may act badly down at the bar on Friday night. You know, that people are people. Just be aware of your behavior and be aware that some people are going to get the wrong idea about what BDSM is. And do not have any hesitation to stop somebody and say, hey, this is inappropriate. You are not acting in a way that I find attractive or I want to continue with. Please leave me alone. Fortunately, at BDSM events, there is a lot of we take care of our own. And someone that's being aggressive or overly handsy, I think, would be shown the door pretty quickly. Do not ever pull your camera out at a kink event, right? It's very different than being at the bar on Thursday night or being at a sports stadium. You know, that kind of, you don't have any expectation of privacy in public, perhaps, legally perhaps. But it's very bad form to start taking pictures at a kink event. And a lot of kink events will specifically prohibit photography. They'll have a sign saying, you know, no photos. And you need to respect that. Not everybody is out about their kink lifestyle. And for many people... They cannot be out about their kink lifestyle. So they don't need your photos showing up on Twitter or Instagram saying, wow, look at this crazy party I went to. And that outing them 
as being part of this scene. You know, some people have very extreme kinks or kinks that would cause them a lot of trouble in their regular life. And when you're at a kink event, you do have a reasonable expectation of privacy that, you know, what goes on at that kink event stays at that kink event. So even if there's not signs specifically prohibiting photography, don't do it. You know, there may be situations where there's a photographer present. Often there'll be, say, someone doing shibari or rope play, and they will have a photographer there to document that. But that photographer has permissions from the people in the scene, and they will make sure that bystanders are not in those photos. So, yeah, if, just because you see a photographer taking picture of a BDSM scene does not give you permission to do the same thing. You know, by and large, I would say keep your phones away. If you're at a gay pride parade and everybody's out on Main Street, different situation. But if you're at the bar on kink night and you see a bunch of people there that you don't know, don't start taking pictures of them. That's bad form. I've been to kink parties where you were not allowed to have your phone. Like everybody had to put their phone in a basket at the door. Because again, this is, we're doing some extreme stuff sometimes and we don't need pictures of it on the internet. Not everybody's a porn producer. You know, for the most part, use your judgment. Don't be a dick. Kink events are strange. You may walk into a bar and the first thing you see is a half-naked woman strapped to a St. Andrew's cross being flogged by a dominatrix wearing a white nurse's outfit. That has happened to me. The very first thing I saw. And that's fun and it's exciting and it's a part of our lifestyle. But you still have to say please and excuse me when you squeeze by somebody. There's still social norms. There's still respect for others. If anything, I feel like it's a bit heightened where we're especially polite to each other. What will be allowed at the kink event that you go to? Who knows? I once attended a very large and pr pretty spectacular kink event in DC. It was a New Year's Eve party. The club it was hosted at had several floors. And as you progressed through the floors, things got crazier and crazier. So on the first floor, it was just a techno dance party. I think they had some drag shows going on, but you know, it wasn't that crazy. Some fetish gear, but not a whole lot. The second floor, now things got a little bit more kinky and you started to see more fetish wear and you started to see some light play. They actually had posted on each floor what was and was not allowed. By the time I got to the top floor, which of course I went to, as I rounded the corner, I had to squeeze aside on the staircase as four rather burly leather daddies were carrying a portly gentleman wearing lederhosen and nothing much else down the flight of stairs that I was going up. And as I entered the room on the top floor, there was a woman being set on fire. There was electro stem that was letting off cracks like lightning. It was the most crazy, wild bacchanalia I'd ever seen with my own eyes. There were women on the bar having orgasm races. It was you know, any possible kinky thing you can imagine was going on on that upper floor. And it was thrilling and it was exciting. And the nice part about that arrangement was that, you know, you kind of had control over what you were exposed to. If you didn't want to see anything outside of fully clothed rope play, well, that was for the first floor. If you wanted to do some leather and latex and some suspension bondage, maybe that would be the second floor. And then if you just wanted to do anything, head up to the top floor. I can't tell you what the rules will be at your kink event, you'll know pretty quickly, you know, A, hopefully they'll be posted. If they're not posted, you will get a feel for the room that you're in. So the last kink event I went to, um, was at a local bar. 
And the kinkiest things happening was they had a rope tying demonstration and they had some light flogging, you know, meaning that the model had a bra and panties on and was strapped to a cross and was being flogged. That was about as crazy as it got. You know, and I'd, I'd say that's medium. There's, I've certainly been to kink events at bars where that kind of thing would not have been allowed. And I've been to other events like that club in D.C. where on the top floor, it was pretty much anything goes. So what happens at your particular kink event, you know, I won't know. But read the room. Don't be the one that's necessarily pushing those boundaries, right? Get a feel for what's going on. Find out what's allowed. You know, make sure that you're not getting the organizers in some sort of trouble, just because it's a kink event doesn't mean that you can, you know, immediately take your clothes off and start having sex. And that's usually not allowed. That's having sex in public is certainly a kink thing. And I've been to parties, usually private parties, where that was allowed. But I've never been to a public function where you were allowed to have sex. That's usually against the law. So anything that would be against the law is still going to be against the law at a kink event. At a private party, it may be completely different. And I'm sure that there are some scenes in, say, larger cities where they would be able to have a private room for a fairly large party. And then, yeah, you might have, you know, sex displays or penetration displays or things that are a little bit crazier than you would get away with normally. But be mindful of where you're at, right? If you're just at the local bar, you're probably not allowed to have sex. You're probably not allowed to do anything penetrative. You may not be allowed to be naked at all. Don't be the one that ends up getting the kink event canceled from the local bar because you were the crazy person in the back, you know, doing stuff you should not have been doing. Be a good representative of your community. Be a good ambassador of the kink community. Follow the rules. There's always time to do wild play. That time is usually in private. This podcast brought to you by Whiskey. Mm, that's the good stuff, man. All right. Someone asked me, what is the thing you want to do more than anything, and why are you hiding it? I'm, I'm not sure on that one. So with me, I think I have literally done just about everything I want to do. I can't think of any types of play or any experiences in the BDSM and kink scenes that I have not yet done. As far as hiding it, I, I don't think I am. Now, possibly they're, they're thinking more addressing the general listener. Yeah, you know. If you're in the kink scene and there's something you really want to do, what is stopping you from doing it? You know, perhaps it's a little bit of fear or it's you're anxious about expressing one of your more extreme kinks to your partner. And I can I can definitely understand that. You know, we don't choose the things that turn us on. And sometimes the things that turn us on turn other people off. And so we could be very hesitant to express that to a partner for example and that can be anything as basic as you know kink in general you have some partners that would react badly if you ask them to blindfold you and tie you up like that would be a no for them so yeah there's hesitancy in addressing that with a partner you know even if you're in the scene your kinks may not go as far as your partner's kinks and vice versa so there can be some hesitancy in there's something you want to try, but you're afraid to talk about it with your partner for fear that they will think badly of you or that they will be put off by it. I certainly understand that. Um, since I'm a dominant and since I'm a dominant in my relationships, 
that doesn't really apply with me, right? There's there's nothing that I could tell my subs that I'd worry about them judging me for. Like it, the judgment doesn't go that direction in our relationship. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's nothing that I want to do that I haven't done or that I couldn't express to my subs. I could tell them, you know, hey, I want to dress you up like a horse and drive down the street in a little carriage while I flog you. I could certainly tell them that. I could certainly, you know, express that to them. And if that wasn't something they wanted to do, they would be free to tell me, you know, sir, I would not like to do that. The way that my dom-sub relationship works, I demand that my subs express themselves to me. And we have what's called the blanket rule. And it's just a very simple analogy for how their rule system works. So... If we're sitting on the couch together, for example, and they are cold, they can tell me, sir, I feel cold, but they can't say, sir, I would like a blanket. And I will get into this more in how our relationship works, but for our particular relationship, this is one of my rules. And what it does is it instills in the sub a desire and a sense of communicating their needs to their dominant without necessarily trying to direct how their dominant cares for them. So if my sub tells me, sir, I'm cold, well, now I have a bunch of options. I could tell them to put on pajamas. I could get them a blanket. I could tell them to get a blanket. I could raise the temperature of the room. Or if the play depends on this, I may want them to be cold, or I may want them to be too hot. I may want them to be uncomfortable in some way. And I want them to communicate that to me. So we call that the blanket rule. They can tell me their condition, but they are not allowed to then propose a solution to that condition. So if I told my sub, you know, I want to dress you like a horse and I want to ride in a carriage and I want you to pull me down the street. If they didn't want to do that, they're free to tell me, you know, sir, I would have a hard time doing that. Sir, that would be embarrassing to me. Sir, I don't want to do that. Whether we do it or not is still up to me. And that is how our relationship works. We have a very special relationship. That's not for everybody. You know, nine times out of 10, I'm going to respect those wishes, especially on something that has to do with public embarrassment because neither of my subs are into public embarrassment. Some people are. That is one of the kinks that we're going to talk about that some people really get off on being humiliated in public. That is their thing. And if I had a sub that was into that, I would have no problem in fulfilling that desire. That's kind of how I work as a dom. It will come as quite a surprise, I think, that I don't have any kinks, right? That seems a bit crazy considering I'm hosting a BDSM podcast on kink culture and I'm a porn producer. When I say I don't have any kinks, I don't have a particular kink. I'm not into leather or latex or feet or rope or electro stem or any of these things. There are no particular things in the BDSM world that I really get off on or that really excite me. However, what does get me off is fulfilling the kink needs of my partner. So if I have a person that's really into rope play, I enjoy doing rope. You know, I've, I've practiced shibari. I am good at tying. But if I was tying up a submissive that wasn't into it and wasn't into rope and was really bored by the whole thing, I would not get any enjoyment out of it. I don't get the enjoyment from doing the tying I get the enjoyment from tying somebody that really likes to be tied. That is exciting to me. 
And you can apply that to impact play or electrostimulation or water play or any kind of play. And I've done just about everything. And when I'm with a partner that they get off on it, it's fun and it's interesting and it's exciting to me and I want to explore it and see where they go with it. But if I tell a partner, you know, hey, do you want me to spank you? And they're like, no, I really don't like impact play. Well, then for that relationship, neither am I. Because it would not excite me to do impact play with a partner that wasn't into it. That's just how I'm wired. So I don't really have any kinks. My kink is doing kinky stuff with people who enjoy it. So I'm, I'm fortunate in that way. At the same time, I do sometimes feel a little left out because I see how excited people get you know, when they see their favorite kink, you know, if you take someone that really is into bondage and you show them a demonstration of some really heavy bondage, you can see their excitement and their enthusiasm and how much they like it. And I get off on that, but there's nothing in the kink scene that I feel that excitement about. I don't know. Maybe I'm just jaded. I've been doing this since I was like 16. So I guess I could remember a time when just kind of the whole taboo feeling and the whole counterculture and the whole, ooh, we're doing something naughty feeling, I do remember that. And that was exciting in and of itself. But, you know, I make porn for a living. So at this point, I really don't have any taboos. There's nothing that I can do that is shocking. There is nothing that I haven't seen with my own eyes at kink events. And so I'm not jaded. I still enjoy the scene. It's still very exciting to me. And this is a big part of my lifestyle. You know, I changed my whole life so I could have this kind of lifestyle. But yeah, I don't have any particular kinks. So to answer that question directly, you know, what's the one thing you want to do? Personally, I, I don't have anything. I have done it. Um, and why are you hiding it? I'm going to I'm going to take that as, you know, why would you not tell a kink partner this? And that I can understand. That is something that I would hope that with your kink partners, with people that you trust enough to do BDSM with, you should be able to express your craziest kinks to them, understanding that they may not want to do them with you and that that is also fine. So they need to be accepting of who you are and your craziest fantasies, and you need to be accepting of them that they may not want to do that, and that is also okay. So I would hope that everyone has that kind of relationship where they feel safe telling their partner anything. You know, I feel safe telling my partners anything, but I'm the power in the power exchange. I want them to feel safe telling me anything because they know that even if it's not something I'm into, I will accept it. And even with my long-term partners, my long-term sub-partners, there's always hesitation. Mostly on their part these days, they would be hesitant to tell me something that they feel like would make me think less of them or would be embarrassing to them. And, you know, as we talk more about the nature of the BDSM relationship, I do want to touch on that more. But for me personally, the only thing that my subs can do that would make me think less of them is to withhold stuff from me, you know, to be untruthful or to not communicate something to me, no matter what it is, because I want to be the person in their life that they can communicate anything to, anything. And the only thing that they're not allowed is to withhold something like that. That's my relationship with my subs and your relationship with your dominant or with your submissive is entirely in your hands. You do you, you do it the way that feels good for you. That's the way that feels good for me. Is BDSM and asexuality compatible? Yes, and I, I did address this question directly in one of the earlier podcasts, but 
I do want to reiterate, and I, I will try to reiterate this as often as I need to. Yes, BDSM and sex are very closely interlinked. That Venn diagram is almost a circle. You know, a lot of the stuff we do involves sex because sex is such a powerful emotion and feeling and vulnerability. So since that's what we're dealing with, we're dealing with power, we're dealing with emotion, we're dealing with vulnerability, we're dealing with, you know, the taboo. Obviously, sex is a major tool to access those feelings, but it does not have to be the only thing you do. I have worked with submissives that I never had sex with because of the relationship rules that they had. So they would be in a situation where they were allowed to play BDSM with another partner, but they were not allowed to have penetrative sex with them. And they would approach me and say, hey, you know, these are my rules. I would like to play with you, but you know, this is my limitation. I can't have sex with you. Are you okay with that? And I said, sure, because there is so much you can do that doesn't involve sex. And you know, looking back in my memory, some of those scenes were very electric because they didn't have sex in them, right? I was going counterculture to the counterculture. You know, we did not do anything sexual in those scenes, and that lent it an air of electricity that it may not have had otherwise. But I certainly enjoyed those scenes, and the person enjoyed them very much. We did several of them. You know, that was just a part of respecting her boundaries. And, you know, she was very upfront with me about it, and I appreciate that. But yeah, sex and BDSM... You do not have to have sex to be in the scene. You do not have to have sex in a scene. You do not have to be with anybody you don't want to be. And don't let anybody guilt trip you or coerce you or make you feel bad about not having sex with them. You know, that's not cool. That doesn't work in the real world. It certainly does not work in BDSM because in BDSM, consent is king, as I say in every episode. If you don't have someone's enthusiastic consent for anything that we're doing, whether it's impact play, bondage, or sex, you're doing it wrong. So just like that comment I read out a couple weeks ago where that guy was saying, you know, any person that's going to be my submissive has to have sex with me. They don't get anything for free, etc. That guy is 180 degrees wrong. That is not how we play. And if you have to coerce your submissives into having sex with you, you're not a dominant. That's not how domination works. If they want to have sex with you, awesome. But if you have to withhold your domination and the things that they enjoy or tell them, you know, if you want to play this game, you have to have sex with me. That's not domination. That's not domination. It, it's crazy to me that, that some people would have that idea. That's, you know, that's extortion. That's not how we play. So yes, can you be asexual and be in the BDSM scene? Absolutely. You know, most kink events you go to in public, you absolutely can't have sex at. So how are you having these kinky scenes in public spaces if it always has to be sexual? Yeah, you can totally be asexual. Look at it as an ableist part. You know, can only physically able people do BDSM? No. Can only young people do BDSM? Absolutely not. To me, it seems like the kink scene is kind of graying a bit. It's for any age. Well, it's for any age that's an adult. You don't have to be a young, you know, hot, sexy person to do BDSM. Look at me. The BDSM scene is about inclusion, not exclusion. BDSM and kink are not a race thing, though 
I would say that, you know, people of color are really underrepresented in the scene. And I'm certain that that has to do with a comfortability factor because I know very kinky people of color, but I also would understand why, you know, there's a lot of baggage involved, right? And when you're placing yourself in a very vulnerable position, as you often do in a kink and BDSM scene, I see how that would be very much heightened by not feeling like you fit in. So I, I understand why, you know, that people of color are underrepresented, but I would love to see that change. I would like to see this be as inclusive as possible. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough and a lot of my fans have reached out to me and they're like, you know, hey, I want to be in the scene, but all the scene photos I see, it's just all white people all the time. And they're right. I remember that when I was working with Sadie and we were trying to find, you know, just finding pictures, finding video, finding anything that represented people of color in the kink scene. And you would search Google and you would not find a whole lot, you know, maybe one picture out of a, a hundred or a thousand. I'm probably being generous. It's a very underrepresented factor of what we do. It's obviously not nobody because I, you know, I know personally people in the scene, but yeah, you know, I've been to many kink events where it's just, you know, it's like skiing in Aspen. I get it. I wish it wasn't so. And I think one thing I can say is by and large, people in the kink scene tend to be much more accepting, you know, towards the liberal side of the spectrum. Um, not, not saying there's not conservative kinksters out there. I'm sure you guys exist and I, I wish you all the best. I think that you would also say that the kink scene is mostly liberals. It's very, very leftist, countercultural, progressive. We're on the bleeding tip of being progressive, I would say. So I would hope that kink events would be comfortable, but I can understand why it may not be. And let's, you know, let's be as inclusive as we can, as welcoming as we can. And maybe we can start to shift the balance a bit. So say someone is into rough play and that's really their thing. Does that tend to mean that that is their only thing? Or might someone like that also like to do less rough stuff sometimes? Or do you feel like people tend to stay in one lane? Well, it's highly individual, right? Um, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Do I enjoy rough sex? Sure. You know, I get off on it. It's fun. It's exciting. If your partner is into it, obviously, this is not something that you do with a partner that's not into rough play, just like everything we do. So when I'm doing rough sex with one of my partners who really enjoys it, sure, it's thrilling and it's fun and it's exciting. And it represents about 10% of our sex life. It's not what we do every time we're together because that's not how I feel all the time. It's not how they feel all the time. And it's the kind of thing you do when you're in the mood for it, when you are both in the mood for it. And just like sex in general, you know, getting two people's sexual energy to match up can be hit or miss, right? Getting two people's sexual energy plus the desire to play rough matched up, you know, you have to go with your partner. You have to feel out what your partner's doing. And no, like, do I also enjoy gentle, sensual, you know, loving sex? Absolutely. So it's not like rough sex is the only thing I want to do all the time. That doesn't mean that there aren't people that is their thing, right? 
it's certainly possible that someone may be into rough play and that's all that they want to do. Not only is it all they want to do, but the idea of rough play is the only thing that can get them aroused in the first place. I have certainly had partners that their taste for rough play was such that that's what they wanted to do all the time. While I would accommodate that as much as I could, there were certainly times when I just didn't want to be rough with them. And, you know, fortunately we had a relationship where I could say, you know, hey, I know you want me to be rough. I don't want to be rough right now, so we're not going to be rough. We're either going to be gentle and sensual or we're not going to have sex. And I encourage everyone to have that same, you know, confidence in their own autonomy that you don't do stuff with people that you don't want to do. You're not really doing them a favor if you are. I think that's part of the problem is that people feel like, oh, well, if my partner wants something and I don't want to do it, I'm really letting them down. So I'll do it anyway, even though I don't want to. Relationships take sacrifice. However, you have to balance it because there's going to be times when you're not really doing them a favor by doing the thing that you don't want to do. And, you know, they'll feel it. They should be able to feel it if you're not into it. And it can place in you a sense of resentment towards them that may or may not be fair. Because if they ask you to do something and you say, sure, and then you are actually not wanting to do it, you know, you're giving them a a mixed message because you're telling them that this behavior is okay and this is what I want to do. I used to call this the Indian restaurant problem where you invite a partner to go out for Indian and they say, sure, that sounds great. And then a couple months later, you know, you've gone to Indian with them 10 times and you say, would you like to go get Indian? And they say, oh, I absolutely can't stand Indian. And you are kind of taken aback and flabbergasted by this because they've never told you that before. It's very important to be honest in relationships. And it's okay to say, hey, you know, I like Indian, but you want to go to Indian every single night. And I like it once a week or once a month. So your taste for Indian is much stronger than my taste. Maybe we can balance. I'll go with you once a week and we don't go to Indian every night. I always prefer absolute honesty and transparency. And I want to know if my partner isn't into something. I don't want them to do it just because it's what I want. Now, we're going to talk about some of the power exchange when we talk more about BDSM and and dominant relationships. There are some times when I'm doing stuff to my partner that I know they don't want to do because it's what they want to do. It's a weird circular logic where they want to be forced to do something they don't want to do. And by me forcing them to do it, I'm actually providing them with fulfillment. Okay. So it gets, it gets complicated. It's too much for right now. It sounds to me as though the the person is saying, you know, I don't want to start a rough relationship if that's the only thing I'm going to get. If that's the question, make that clear to your partner. You know, tell them, yeah, I enjoy rough play. However, I don't always want to be rough. Sometimes I would like it to be sensual. Or sometimes I don't want to have sex at all. And I want to feel safe communicating that to you. So just like we talked about earlier, do not be afraid to express yourself to your BDSM kink partner or your vanilla partner. But I know that in in our world, with the dom-sub relationship, with the power exchange, the top-bottom relationship, that's why I tried to reiterate in that first episode about setting up a relationship, how important it can be 
to make sure that the lines of communication between DOM and sub are clear and that the sub has ways of telling their dominant that they don't want to do something in an outside channel, right? Because in the DOM-SUB relationship, sometimes there is not a place for the sub to say no. So there needs to be an alternative method for the sub to communicate to the DOM that they don't want to do something and they don't want to be disrespectful. You know, with my subs, that way is they tell me. They tell me their feelings. That's what I was talking about earlier with the blanket. Make sure that you have something set up. If you're a dominant, that may mean sitting down your submissive and asking them. You know, periodically. Pick, you know, every month or every other month as part of one of your sessions. You ask them a number of questions. You know, are you happy with this kind of play that we're doing? Tell me. Because they may not feel the autonomy to tell you on their own. So, subs, I do encourage you to communicate with your doms. Doms, help your subs communicate. Give them a safe space to do that. So, you know, I hope you enjoyed that format of me reading out some questions. This will be something I do periodically. I'm still going to continue this BDSM 101. We still probably have two or three more episodes just on submission types. And then we're going to move into, you know, being a dominant and dominant types and what that's all about. After that, we're going to talk about various forms of play and various ways that relationships in the BDSM world work. You know, the interaction between dom and sub can be very individualistic, even among, you know, you have three different doms and three different brat subs. They're going to have wildly different relationships. And so I want to explore a little bit of those dynamics on how a BDSM relationship works. Uh, this is the end of the Q&A for this time. I think we got through three whole questions, maybe four. I know why a lot of podcasters like this format. And, you know, once we get done with the BDSM 101 series, the main bulk of it, I have a feeling I'm going to be bringing this back periodically and revisiting it. I wouldn't mind redoing a couple of those beginning episodes as well. You know, hopefully in the long-term future, if I imagine this podcast going on for another few years at least, I will incorporate more Q&A, and I would love it if you continue to send me your questions, continue to send me stuff that you want advice on, if I can help out with, and I'm happy to, and that's something that I would like to include as we move forward. So keep those questions coming. On a business note, somehow we rose to the very top of the X Hamster ratings this month which is kind of surprising. I'm happy about that because I think there's a cash reward involved in that. We're currently number three. Um, so yeah, that's rather exciting. If you want to support the channel, go on over to X Hamster and watch our videos. The uh, 4,000 people or so that hear this podcast could maybe push us over the edge. Um, I mean, they're also good videos, hopefully. If that's not your thing, don't worry about it. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast that do not, you know, watch our porn or do not have any really knowledge of the porn that we make. And while I originally started this podcast specifically to talk about, you know, what it's like to be an amateur porn producer, what it's like being in the business, and I will revisit that from time to time, there's not that much to talk about. You know, I will go into our continuing process for making movies. I will go into the continuing things that I've learned about the business and how to keep a business running throughout this time. You know, tip, don't rely on one site. But that is kind of a limited scope subject. 
And while I will continue to incorporate that, for example, I've had some interviews lined up with other much more highly placed porn figures than myself, which I think would be interesting to you guys. I think this will be more of a kink BDSM poly relationship based podcast. I'm enjoying this lane. And I know that I always say that we're going to talk about poly and I've never really discussed it yet. We will. Don't worry. I want to get into that. There is some overlap with BDSM. I know other poly couples that are not kinky in any way. So there's overlap in these worlds, but that can be kind of its own thing, is managing a successful, happy, healthy poly relationship. Right now, I want to talk about having a successful, happy, healthy BDSM relationship. I yesterday got these sales sites set up on the unfortunately named Fap House, which is part of X Hamster. So if you go to X Hamster, their premium video service is called Fap House. I didn't name it. I, you know, it would not be the name that I chose, but that's what it is. I have started uploading all of Ruby's videos there. So all of you people who write me regularly, 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 regular on the reg, People who write me on the reg, as the kids say, wanting to know where Ruby's videos are, they are going to be on Fap House. All of them that I have, full length, available for sale, probably tomorrow. They have to authorize each video I put up. So once they're done clearing that process, they will be for sale. I don't know if we'll sell other model videos there. Perhaps we'll do some of the longer form videos, like when we put out a trailer and a full version, I might try selling the full version there. Currently, all of Lavender's videos are up on both XVids and XHamster, the full versions. When I do her new videos, I may put a trailer on the free sites and try selling a full length version. We'll see if that works. We did have a lot of success with that on Pornhub. However, the numbers were different on Pornhub. You know, there was a time when we were getting millions of hits every month and a small percentage of those millions of hits would buy a video. So it worked. It made sense to release two different versions and then try to sell the premium version. I don't know if that will be true on this site, at least not until we get more traction. So that's something that I'll have to figure out. I'll keep you guys posted. You know, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers once again. If you can give a little bit, you know, a dollar, five bucks a month. If enough of you do that, then I can make this a money-making venture all on its own, which will prioritize it for me and make it something that, you know, helps pay the bills because things have been rough with Pornhub right now. Things have been really rough this month. So yeah, putting that plea out there, which is not my favorite thing to do. But if you like this podcast and you want to support what we're doing, consider going to our Patreon and helping out. A note, Patreon treats adult performers kind of like mopeds. You know, we're fun to ride, but they don't want to be seen doing it. So you can't go to Patreon and search for Wicked Way Studios or Wicked Fellow. You will get zero results. You have to follow the links from my site directly. So there's a link under the podcast, or you can go to www.wickedfellow.com, and there'll be a link there. You have to direct link to adult sites. Because there's a ghettoization scenario where they're happy to host adult content and you're allowed to host adult content, they have no problem with that, but they also will not show you in their search results. Personally, considering that Patreon is a credit card funded site, 
and everybody on Patreon is going to be above age and nobody on Patreon is giving anything away for free, I would think that their age verification would be very easy. You know, have a blurred screen that says you must be 18 years old to enter the site and do it that way. Because again, to use Patreon, you need to use a credit card. I don't run Patreon. I just, I realized recently when someone wrote to me and said they couldn't find my Patreon site and I went and searched for it myself and I could also not find my own site. So I contacted them and got the reply that because I'm an adult creator, they will not feature me in their search results or have me in their search results at all. Word to the wise. If you are on my Patreon, um, check your inbox because I'm trying to get in touch with you guys, all of you. Um, I want your feedback. I want ways that I can make the Patreon better. And apparently the email notifications that Patreon sends out when I talk to you all go to your spam messages as our chairman of the Patreon board told me today. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's kind of a, we're having a fun little time over there and I'm posting more behind the scenes content there all the time. So it is, it's worth checking out. Even if you just want to do a dollar a month, that would be amazing. I'm just checking to make sure I was actually recording this entire podcast. That would be a bad day. Next week, we're going to get back into our BDSM 101 with a further discussion on submissive types. I have not decided which ones yet. Perhaps you can write me and ask me, you know, what's your favorite submissive type? What is something that you're interested in? You can reach me at wickedfellow.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, YouTube, Pornhub, obviously. And you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podcaster, just about any podcast site has picked us up at this point, which is cool. If you are a podcast listener and you would like to see this podcast, the video version of it, head over to our website, which has links to our YouTube page, or go to YouTube and search for Wicked Fellow or Wicked Wednesdays podcast. You'll, you'll find it. So remember, consent is king. Take care of each other, and I will see you next week. <laughs>